And I'm going to ask uh, Amanda Badke to come. She's going to read to us from Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them up. Um, we're, we're going to be working through Matthew's gospel, actually, through a good chunk of the spring and summer. Um, we're going to take a break to do our On Purpose series, but um, each week we're going to read uh, just a chapter of the Bible. We're going to hear the word of Scripture that, that the Spirit inspired to be written down, and so that's what we're going to do each week that we preach on this. So, Okay, today we are reading Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, and so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. Uh, he will be called a Nazarene. Thank you, Amanda. 
You know, this morning I was sitting right here and uh, Dr. Larry Otto was in front of me and after uh, Jacob shared the word, I kind of elbowed Larry and says, well, it's great for a couple old guys like us to hear a young man speaks God's word to us this morning. We kind of agreed it was a real, real privilege. And I really believe that uh, Jacob spent a lot of time wrestling with the text uh, so that he could bring us a word of encouragement here this morning. So I just encourage you to open your hearts as uh, I refer to man as young Jacob. I guess he is because I'm 45 years older. But anyways, uh, thank you for listening to God and, and bring his word to us now, Jacob. Well, good morning, everyone. I guess I need no introduction because I've already been introduced, um, but just to say it again, my name is Jacob. I'm our Young Adults Coordinator here at Summit. It's just such a privilege to have this opportunity to preach to you once again. This is, I don't typically preach here on a Sunday morning. Um, this is actually only my third time doing so. And as Harry already mentioned, I, I just want to make a confession that I really, really wrestled with this text. Not in the good sense of the word, but I struggled. It was really difficult for me to get down to the main point that I wanted to say. I think I wrote about six or seven drafts, maybe more, before I finally had what I felt like was what God wanted to speak through me this morning. And I just got so frustrated because every single morning I would wake up and I'd have all these ideas in my mind that I wanted to put on paper. I had all these plans for how I was going to fit them together. And I was like, yes, this is going to be such a good sermon. And Day after day, I felt defeated because my plans just seemed to fall apart time after time. And I, I wondered, I'm like, God, why are your plans not succeeding? Why are they failing time and time again? And just a little spoiler alert, I had the, the wrong idea there. But I, I'm, I'm sure that you as well have this kind of this struggle when it comes to your plans. Maybe, maybe your example isn't sermon writing like it is for me, and maybe you can't relate to that. But maybe, maybe you're a parent and you've planned a vacation with your kids and then all of a sudden they got sick and all the activities you wanted to do, you can't do it anymore. Or maybe you're a student and you plan to have graduated by a certain time, but you didn't meet your requirements and now you're having to do a course again that you've already done. Sometimes we just make plans and they don't work out. And it's really frustrating. And I think what can be even more frustrating is when we do make plans and they do succeed and yet we still feel unfulfilled. Like when you win an argument with your spouse and you're like, yes, I won the argument, but they're unhappy, so did you really win? That's the feeling, that feeling of unfulfillment, even when our plans go right. And that's why we need this passage of scripture we read from this morning. The passage of scripture reminds us of something that we all need to be reminded of with all these unmet expectations and disappointment we have in life. And that is this, that God's ultimate plans prevail even when ours fail. See, I had the complete wrong perspective when I was writing my message. I thought it was God's plans that were failing, but it was really mine, my plans for what I wanted the message to be. And what God kept bringing me back to was in this text, this picture of baby Jesus who comes into the world unable to defend himself or protect himself, and against him all this opposition from King Herod trying to kill him. And even though it looks like the odds are completely stacked against Jesus, God's plans are the ones that prevail. His plans are the ones that went out. And we need that encouragement in the midst of 
in the midst of our plans that fail time and time again. We need to know that God has a promise, has had a promise from the very beginning up until now that he is not willing to compromise. A promise to bring salvation to all of humanity, to win us back to him. That's a plan that he's carrying out even here today for all of us who are willing to get on board with it. And that is the real message that God brought me to speak this morning, that he told me, this is what I want you to speak, Jacob. I want you to get on board with my plans, and I want all of my church to get on board with my plans. And so this is what I want you to speak. And so that's what I'm going to speak this morning. I want all of us, and I think God, most of all, wants all of us to get on board with his plans today. And in order to get us to do that, in order to encourage us in that, I want to look at two really different but really important responses that we get in this text to God and his plans. The first one we see in this text is from Herod and Jerusalem. Now, I think we can all agree that Herod definitely wants nothing to do with God's plans. He, when he hears about baby Jesus, is threatened. Because at this time, he's the one that everyone's calling the king of the Jews. And so when they hear, where's the king of the Jews? He says to himself, wait a second, am I not the king of the Jews? So Herod is frustrated. He doesn't want Jesus to be king. He wants to be his own king. And he's not willing to let God's plans prevail if it means that his plans don't get to work out. And the the even crazier thing is that this leads him to go and to try to go against God's plans. He tries to wipe out all of the two-year-olds or the boys under the age of two in Bethlehem. That's what his actions lead him to because he's so unwilling, so desperate to hold on to his own power that he is going to go against God's plans, whatever the cost. And even crazier is that it's not just Herod that has this response. We read it's also Jerusalem. In the text that we just read, it says, Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And that just seems kind of strange to us. And I think that should really shock us because what that shows us is that this desire to be your own king it doesn't just dwell in, in, in cruel tyrant kings like Herod. It can live in you and in I as well. We can try to be our own kings. We can be more concerned with saving our thrones than with saving our souls the way God allows when we trust in him. And that should really challenge us this morning. We shouldn't want to be so preoccupied with our own plans and purposes that we are blinded from seeing God's. And Rather than make the assumption this morning that that's what you're doing, I just want you to ask yourself. I want you to ask yourself, are there ways where I am like Herod? Where I am like the people of Jerusalem? Where I care more about my plans and my purposes and getting those accomplished than getting on board with what God has for me and being open to that? Am I more concerned with my glory or am I more concerned with God's glory? Just ask yourself that this morning. I'm not trying to get you to ask it because I want you to feel bad about yourself. Don't get me wrong. I'm asking it because I want us to realize that there are severe consequences when we try to be king of our own lives, when we put ourselves first. Maybe it doesn't lead to us murdering innocent two-year-olds, and I really hope it doesn't, but it could still lead to really terrible things. 
It can lead to us making cruel remarks to those we don't agree with or those we just don't get along with. Or it can lead to us trying to get revenge on those that hurt us. When we take control of our own lives and try to be king, that's when people get hurt the most. And we know that. But I have good news for you. I want to encourage you, and I think this text is encouraging us in this way, that we don't need to respond the way that Herod and Jerusalem do. Just because we have this tendency in ourselves, it doesn't mean that we need to go along with it and try to take control of our own lives. We can actually choose to lay down our own desires and our own interests and seek God's kingdom first, seek his interests above all. And you know what the most amazing part is? We have the best example possible of how to do this in Jesus. See, we read in Philippians 2 that even though Jesus is king, even though he was equal with God, he did not see his kingship and his equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself because he knew that God's plans for salvation, for our salvation, his plans to win us back to himself were more important than his own individual desires. And so Jesus prayed perhaps the most amazing and incredible prayer ever prayed, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours. That's what God wants us to pray. That's what he wants you and I to pray today. Jesus shows us that the way that we can conquer our Herod-like tendencies is through humility, through being humble the way Jesus showed us to. That's how Jesus is king, through humility. Now, thankfully, Matthew didn't just leave us with a whole bunch of negative examples in this text where we say, okay, that's definitely what I want to avoid. He actually gives us some really positive examples that we can follow. And one of these is Joseph. Joseph's response is completely different than Herod and Jerusalem's response. See, the reason his response is so different is that unlike Herod and Jerusalem, Joseph, he's not trying to meet his own plans. He's not trying to fulfill and accomplish his own plans and agenda. But he wants to get on board with God's agenda, with God's plans and interests for his life and for our lives and for the lives of all of humanity. I want to show you how. So when my fiance Maddie, and I were going through this text, um, we were doing a Bible study. It was about a month ago. And we were reading the section where the angel appears to Joseph and he responds. And she pointed out something that I found actually really funny. And rather than say it, what it was, I just want to see if you notice it too. So I'm going to read a couple sections from the text and just see if you catch it, catch what she caught and what we caught as we were going through it together. So starting from verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Now I'm going to read from verse 20, if you're still following along. The angel says, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Did you notice it? Did you catch it? Joseph does exactly what the angel tells him to do, word for word. It's the exact same thing. 
go do this, and he went and did it. That's basically it. That's what Joseph does. He shows us this amazing response that we don't get from almost anyone else in the text. Obedience. Obedience to God's plan. And trust that his plans are the best plans for him. Joseph doesn't respond to God by questioning him, by saying, God, I don't know if your way is really best. I think maybe we should just stay here. I think that would be a little bit less dangerous for us. He doesn't question it. He doesn't pursue his own side projects. He responds by saying, God, I trust you. I trust that you know what's best for my life. I'm going to do exactly what you say. No questions asked. He says, not my ways, God, but your ways, the way Jesus does. Instead of trying to be his own king, Joseph lets God be king. He lets God lead him. And because he trusts and obeys God, as we sang this morning, trusts and obeys God, and he trusts that he knows what's best for him, and that he has his best interests in mind, instead of seeking out his own interests for himself, he experiences God's favor and his blessings. God protects him and his family, lets no harm come to them, because he trusts in the Lord. And best of all, and this is the most amazing part, Joseph gets to be a part of God's plans for the whole world, for the salvation of the entire human race. Joseph gets to be a part of that because he chooses to lay down his own plans and to take up God's, to pursue God's plans for his life. I don't know about you, but that is what I want to do. I want to respond with obedience to God. I don't want to question him, even if the circumstances are dire, which they can be, but I think that's what you and I can tend to do sometimes, can't we? I think the reason that we look at Joseph and say, that's so incredible, is because that's not often what we see in ourselves. I think we have a tendency to question God, to ask the questions that Joseph didn't ask. God, do you really have my best interests in mind? Are you, are you sure this is the, the right plan for me? Isn't this going to get me in trouble? Or aren't people going to think I'm weird because I'm doing this? We ask those questions, and sometimes that can really hinder us from obeying God and what his plans are for us. And we might think, well, of course Joseph obeyed. He had an angel appear to him in a dream and tell him exactly what to do. If, if God did that for me, I would obey. Maybe that's what you're thinking. But if that is what you're thinking, and it is a good argument, I just want us to remember two really important things that come up in this text. Number one, Joseph still had to trust that it was God speaking to him. He could have easily believed, with all the confusion and anger that he was wrestling with, that this was just some kind of crazy hallucination. This wasn't God. This was just something, some dream he was having because he had some pizza last night or something like that. I don't know. Have you ever had that before? You have pizza before you go to bed and then you just have a really weird dream? Joseph could have been thinking that. You never know. But he doesn't believe that. He trusts that it's God speaking to him. And the second thing is, you and I are not excluded from hearing God's voice today the way that Joseph hears it. Sure, we might not always hear it through angels speaking or through miraculous dreams, but God still desires to speak to you and I today. And one of the most amazing ways that he does that is through his written word in the Bible. God made his word available to us to read, and his Holy Spirit continues to speak through his word as we read it. So it's not just words on a page, it's God 
speaking through his word to us, encouraging us to get on board with his plans for the whole world. And so we do have his word, and he does speak to us in a way that is clear and in a way that we can get on board with his plans, just like Joseph does. So, maybe you don't take anything else away from this message today. But if you take one thing away, this is what I want it to be. If you're not already spending time in God's word every single day, I want you to make that a priority. Every day, make a time. Get up, read God's word. Listen to what he's speaking to you through the scriptures. Because that, the reality is that the best way to get on God's page is to read the pages that he's written it down in. Second thing, second take home, because maybe, maybe, you're, maybe your problem isn't with reading God's word. Maybe you're doing that. Maybe you're reading it every single day, and you know it, you understand God's word, and your real problem is doing what Joseph does and putting it into practice. Maybe your take home is that you just need to say yes to God. No questions. Yes, God. Maybe before you even open the word of God, you say to God, God, whatever comes up in your word, whatever your commands to me are, whatever your promises are, I'm going to say yes to them. And maybe the way you do that is by writing down, yes, God, or amen next to every command that comes up. Yes, God, I'm going to do that because you have my best interests in mind. You're not leading me astray. You're leading me to life and to goodness, and your plans for me are so good. Maybe that's what you need to trust. This leads me to the final point I want to make this morning. The final way that I believe God wants us to respond to his plans. And we see it in the Magi in this text. The reason I find the Magi so amazing is because not only do they obey God the way Joseph does, as we have seen already, but what do they do when they come into the presence of baby Jesus? They worship him. They bow down. They worship God. See, of course, they don't know at this point that, that, this, that Jesus is the true king, God, but their response is exactly in line with what God wants to see from them and what he wants to see from us. They are getting on board with God's plans, as we've been talking about all morning. They're making God their priority by seeking him out, by giving him their best gifts, and they're declaring through their worship, that he is the true king of the Jews. Not Herod, not themselves. God is. God, you are my king. That's what they're saying. And because they choose to worship God rather than to oppose him, this passage tells us as we read in the scripture that they receive great joy. It says they were overjoyed when they saw the star above the place he had been born. That's the joy that I want. That's the joy that God wants for you. I want that joy that comes from God being my king, from making his plans my priority and not my own. And so I want to respond the same way that the Magi do, by worshiping God. And when I say that, when I say worshiping God, I don't just mean on a Sunday morning when we come and we sing to him, which is so great, which is such a big, important part of worshiping God. But what I mean is worshiping him with our entire lives giving him our everything, giving him our all. Just as the Magi bring Jesus gifts that are only fit for a king, that's what we are to do. 
Bring him gifts that are only fit for King Jesus. And that is our everything. We need to give him our everything, not just our leftovers, not just when we have time for him, not just when it's convenient to follow God. Always, all the time, everything. That's what God wants for us. And the text promises that when we worship him as king in that way, then we will have joy, just like the Magi do. And we will, have, we will experience fulfillment. Because instead of pursuing our own plans that often fail and leave us disappointed, we're pursuing God's plans for salvation, for the salvation of humanity, his plans that always prevail and that never disappoint us. We will have joy when those are the plans that we are pursuing. So the text we've looked at this morning shows us that God's ultimate plans for salvation are going to be fulfilled no matter what. The text makes that clear. That's not the question. The question is, are you with him or are you against him? Is he your king or are you still trying to be king? Ask yourself that this morning. We've talked a lot this morning about Jesus being king. And I I recognize that that can sound really strange to us who live in Canada where we don't really live under the authority of a king. I want to acknowledge that. But if your question today is, okay, what's that about? What, what does Jesus being king really mean? How do I make Jesus my king? That's a really good question. But I want to encourage you by saying that it's what we've been talking about all morning. If you're asking yourself, how do I make Jesus my king? Part of the answer to that question is exactly in the question, H-O-W, through h humility, through O, obedience, and through W, worship. Humility, meaning you give up your plans and individual desires for your life. Obedience, meaning you follow God's leading and what his plans are for your life. And worship, meaning you give him your everything. You give him your all. You give him your best. That is how you make Jesus your king. And above all, if you want Jesus to be your king, I would just encourage you to pray and ask him to be your king. If he's not your king already, or even if you've been a Christian for a long time and you just don't know if God's your king yet, ask him today to be your king. And as you're thinking through that, ask yourself what it would mean if God were your king. Ask, what would it mean if God was my king? How would I behave differently in front of my coworkers? How would I change my habits? What would I do differently on a day-to-day basis? What would I do more of? What would I do less of? How would I treat other people? How would I spend my time? Ask yourself those questions. And even in your bulletins, I've just left a couple sections open. I know it's a catching the message, but don't we all need a catching the message? It's not just for the kids, right? So there's a couple sections open for you just to go and to fill in that space with what God speaks to you through his word, what he's telling you to do, how, being, how making God your king looks in your life. And I want you to pray through the scriptures diligently as you do that. Don't just make it up for yourself, but let God lead you. Let him be your king. Let him decide what that means for you. In closing, I just want to acknowledge that the reality is that when we recognize that Jesus is our king, even when we do that, life is still going to be really difficult. 
there are still going to be times where we fail, where we screw up, where we choose our own plans instead of God's plans. And we know this. Those of us who have been Christians long enough and followed Jesus know that we make mistakes every single day. And it's so frustrating. And we choose our own way instead of God's way, even though we know that's not what we're supposed to do. But even though that's true, there is such good news. And this is the most important thing you need to hear this morning if you haven't heard this good news already. The good news is that God still wants a relationship with you, despite all that. He still wants to invite you into his family and to give you life, to give you life to the full, and to give you purpose in life. He wants that so much for us that he willingly went to the cross to die for our sins so that nothing would separate us from having that relationship with God. He did that to make it possible for us to have that relationship with him. And he did that so that he can continue to use sinful, broken people like you and me. And like even the Old Testament heroes that we read about, what makes them so amazing is not their skillfulness, not their intellect, but that they obey God. They get on board with his plans. And that's what God wants us to do, to be on board with his good purposes. And he wants that so much for us that he protected his son Jesus through all of the opposition that came against him, from his birth to his death on the cross, so that at just the right moment, he could die for us, for you, because he cares for you, for you, for you, for all of us. He cares for all of us, and he wants to give you life, life to the full. He wants to give you purpose in life. He wants to give you fulfillment that can be found only in him, only when he is your king. So will you come to him today? Will you make him your king if he is not already? Would you let him lead you and lead you into life? Because it's only God that can lead you there. I believe God's trying to get a hold of anyone who hasn't made that decision right now. And as the worship team comes forward and as we pray, if that's you today, if you haven't accepted Jesus, I would just encourage you to pray this prayer with me, to ask God to be your king today. Let's pray this together. Let's make him our king. Let's pray in closing. Father in heaven, we are so incredibly grateful that you protected your son Jesus through everything, through all of the opposition that came against him in order that we may have life and have it to the full and that we can know you personally, God. And we confess that we've tried, we've tried time and time and again to go our own way and to be our own kings, even though you, God, are the true king. You are the true king, Lord. We ask your forgiveness, Lord, knowing that we can't justify ourselves on our own, but that when we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us because Jesus has paid the penalty for us all eternally. And now, Lord, for those who are here today and who have never accepted Jesus as their king before but want to now, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in them, move in their hearts as we pray this together. I would just encourage you to pray this with me if that's where you're at this morning. Lord, I need you. Lord, I've tried everything. I've tried to do things on my own, to do life on my own terms. But God, I don't want to do that anymore. 
God, I'm done living for myself. I want to live for you. I want the life that you give, Jesus. I confess now, Jesus, that you are Lord, that you are king over everything, including my life. And I believe with my heart that, Jesus, you died for me. And it's only you that can save me. If you prayed that with me today or would like that to be your prayer someday, myself or one of the other pastors would just love to chat with you after the service. And now, Lord, send us out from this place with real purpose, with your purpose. May we learn to get on board with your plans, that our lives may be about lifting high your name and bringing you glory above all else. Send us out, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' powerful and life-giving name we pray. Amen.